0: Uh, We're in our sermon series, The Ones Less Traveled. We're going through some of the books of the Bible that, uh, let's, let's just say, unless you're going through your devotional, you might not hit them all the time. Uh, last week we looked at 2 John, and this week we'll be in 3 John. What is worthy of imitation? Uh, when I was in junior high, I loved to imitate Michael Jordan. Yeah, funny, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny now. It's funny then too, but if you watched him, he had he had the greatest crossover dribble. He had, he was the best 15 foot fadeaway jump shot. Every every kid who loved to play basketball and every YMCA across America imitated Michael Jordan. As I got older, I began to imitate my older brother, uh, high school all American in basketball, uh, all American while using college. He was the coolest thing since sliced bread, and I wanted to imitate the coolest thing since sliced bread, my older brother. It's not unusual to look at a person you admire and imitate them, right? Um, Today, I look at men who are older than me, love Jesus, and who have raised kids older than me, uh, have gone through trials that still await me, and I say, "I I I wanna imitate that person. It's not unusual and perhaps even natural to imitate other people. Paul says in Philippians, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul makes similar statements all throughout his epistles. But we need to ask, so we need to ask, who should we imitate? Why does Paul say you should imitate me? Today's passage gives us some insight into the answer. Last week we looked at 2 John, and this week we will look at 3 John. 3 John is the shortest book in the Bible, and just as we saw last week, 3 John has a lot to teach us. Second and 3 John are like fraternal twins. They're easy to pair, pair together. For example, Second and Third John place the importance on knowing truth. And both letters were written by the Apostle John, probably later in his life, with Third John likely being the last book of the Bible written. But there are also differences between these fraternal twins. And differences include the recipients. If you remember from last week, Second John was written to a local church. Third John is written to an individual in a local church named Gaius. In both letters, John addresses controversy, but the controversies are very different from one another. In 2 John, there are no personal names mentioned. But in Third John, we're going to see that there are three individuals named. Four, if you want to include John himself. So all in all, this fraternal twin to John, Second John is going to lead us into a different direction than we saw last week. We will not be asking the question, like we did last week, what is truth? Instead, we want to ask the question... What does it mean to imitate good? The question comes from an exhortation in command in verse 11 of 3 John. Beloved, imitate good. Everything said in this short little letter turns on that phrase. And so let's let these I'm going to let these three words frame this entire sermon. I'm going to move through this book by following the moments John tells Gaius, the recipient, that he is beloved. You might have saw, saw that a few times or heard that a few times when Ruthie was sharing the scriptures. We read that word in verse 1, 2, 5 and 11, and each time John says to Gaius, you are beloved, he's beginning a new thought. When when John calls Gaius beloved, what he's doing, he's extending affection to him, and to be honest, I hope that you hear affection from me this morning, and more importantly, affection from God this morning, because Christian, you are beloved. Beloved is not a throwaway introductory word. You can hear the root agape in our English translation, which means love. So you are Christian, a loved one, dear friend. John uses this word to express his love, affection to his dear friend Gaius. And what we're going to see this morning is that being part of the beloved, to be beloved, and to imitate good, which is the exhortation this morning is marked by a passion to see the gospel advance. That would be like the summary of 3 John. So, the flow of thought, 3 John. Christian, you are beloved by God, therefore, imitate God, and therefore, be a part of advancing the gospel. Conversely, what we're going to see in this short letter is what it looks like to not be a part of the beloved, to imitate evil which results in an anti-gospel mentality. So we're going to see that as well. John addresses that. He has to bring reproof in this letter. And whatever you imitate, good or evil, reveals where you are from. Third John shows us examples of people who imitate good and evil. And so John invites us to choose. In the next few minutes, you're going to see these three short, biographies. These biographies will show us the, the difference between imitating good and evil, between what it looks like to be a part of God's advancing mission, and what, what it means to be a part of your own agenda-driven mission. So, so let's dive in with that as an introduction and look more closely, beginning in first 1, where we see the first beloved. The elder, again, John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So if you're familiar with the Apostle John's writing, nothing is shocking in this first verse, right? Uh, When you read the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, etc., the themes of love, truth, and light are constantly repeated. And in this one verse, we have two of the three themes. John loves his friend Gaius in the truth, which is to also say that John's love for Gaius is built upon the truth of Christ. I spoke on truth last week, so I won't belabor the point. But what is helpful to say now is that love and truth keeps John and Gaius in partnership and on mission, on God's mission to see people saved. Love is going to hold sway. Truth is going to hold sway. John can't forget that. Gaius can't forget that. We can't forget that. And so, in verse 2, John emphasizes again, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, if this language sounds familiar, to you and you were here last week. It's because it sounds a lot like 2 John. John rejoiced because he heard through the grapevine that Gaius was walking in the truth. Again, John calls him a child, suggesting Gaius in this church was directly influenced by John's evangelistic and pastoral ministry. And John feels a personal burden and joy to know that this little church is doing well spiritually especially his beloved friend Gaius what is u- unique in these verses is John's prayer for Gaius John prays verse 2 for his physical health and the spiritual health of Gaius in John's prayer we read Gaius was spiritually healthy but there's some physical health that was ailing him we don't know what was going on with Gaius's spiritual health But John goes out of his way to express express concern and prayer. Again, this points to the relationship John had with him. His knowledge of Gaius, his prayer for Gaius, justifies the repeated use of beloved. And John is going to give a specific commendation to Gaius, revealing further his appreciation. The commendation is in verses 5 to 8, while the contrast to the commendation is in verses 9 to 10. It is in these two biographies where we're going to see the contrast between imitating good and imitating evil. So that's going to be the meat of the sermon. It's going to be the body of the sermon. So let's see what John commends Gaius for and then see what he warns him from. Here's the third beloved. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. So let's stop there for a moment so I can tell you exactly why John commends Gaius. There had been traveling teachers who had gone out to preach the gospel. Today we call these folks Uh, Global missionaries, perhaps, evangelists, and even church planners. And Gaius, not personally knowing these people, John calls them strangers, invited them into his home and into his church. By inviting them into his home and church meant caring for their physical needs, like food and lodging. Gaius is extending hospitality to these people he he does not personally know. Gaius, and I would imagine others in the church, took on this burden with joy. In verse 5, John points to the faithfulness of Gaius, and the faithfulness of Gaius was demonstrated by his passion to advance the gospel by caring for these traveling teachers. That's kind of what's going on. I've had the privilege to travel all around the world on various missions activities. And one common feeling that I have from each missions experience is I feel blessed by the people that I just left. And every plane ride home, I'm filled with reflection and gratitude for the hospitality that was extended to me on that particular mission. Our care for strangers who go out in the name of Christ, verse seven, should result in the same reality. You come in. We want to love you. We want to send you out and bless you as well. It's clear that the care Gaius extended to these traveling strangers was exceptional. So exceptional that these strangers went back to John's local church to tell him about the love Gaius extended to them. So I want to ask a specific question, not only to the Christian church in general, but to this local church. Why is it important in biblical that we pray, that we spend time with and give our resources to those who are going out in the name of Christ. Why is that important? Verse 7 and 8 provides us with some answers. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Here are my thoughts about why the local church needs to be the primary support for those who go out to share the gospel. First, there is a priority in supporting people who go out for the sake of the name, the name being the name of Jesus Christ. You know, this world is more connected now than ever. I've, I have Christian friends who receive jobs in other country to like experience a different culture, earn some cash, et cetera, and that's fine, but the focus of what the church is called to do In terms of support, it's more narrow. We need to support individuals who go out with the primary purpose to tell people about Jesus. And these individuals are not receiving the traditional paycheck. Which is what John means when he says these people accepted nothing from the Gentiles. This is this isn't putting a resume out and seeing if a job awaits. Let's see what happens. John, John is using the word Gentile generically to mean non Christians. These missionaries did not receive money from non Christians because it is the responsibility of local churches to support missionaries, church planners, or anyone else who goes out to make Christ known where people don't know Christ. John is giving excellent wisdom here. I mean, just think about it for a moment. What happens if an outside non-Christian organization gives substantial money to a nonprofit organization? Right? Are not strings and conditions oftentimes attached? Oftentimes, yes. And John doesn't want to make, doesn't want those who go out for the name of Christ to have mixed interests. It only makes sense the church is the source of care and support for missionaries. We cannot delegate this responsibility. We can't. And it's easy to. But we can't. The interest of the church is aligned with the person being sent out because of the gospel. So our support for missionaries, church planners, etc., happens while they are out and when they come back. Gaius opened up his heart, his home, and his hand to fellow Christian teachers, and we should do the same. And what is the rationale that John gives? for the church to support those who go out in the name of Christ that we may be fellow workers in the truth. We're fellow workers. Here's how one commentator sums up verses 5 to 8. John is talking about hospitality but also financial giving. Send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. God can be paraphrased, send them on their way with a generous gift, pay for their ticket to travel, and give them some money for their mission are two ways we might say it today. The idea here is that we who are part of this local church are co-workers with, say, Lily, Jessa, Ellie, as they serve to tell kids in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, about Jesus. Think for a moment the idea that, John's, that the idea that John sets forth for us. We are fellow workers or co-workers. It's, it's like working for any given company, and you go to the office to work with other people who are trying to accomplish the same task. For example, if you work for a company that makes widgets, the person on the assembly line, the person in management, ideally are working toward the same goal. They're co-workers. They're laboring together, albeit different roles and responsibilities in the local church, we are participating in the gospel mission all around the world when we throw our time, energy, prayer, and resources behind, behind those who go out for the name of Christ. Our love for one another and our love for Christ causes us to be part of gospel advancement. So, beloved, beloved. Let's not shrink back but press in to be gospel-minded and active and see in the name of Jesus go forth domestically, globally. Not everyone's gonna go to Bolivia. Not everyone's gonna go to 1040. Y'all aren't gonna go plant a church, although I wish you would. <laughs> but everyone can participate. Everyone can participate. If you want to imitate good, if you want to imitate good, Look to Gaius. A man from God was on mission by caring for these traveling teachers. We should reflect his example as he reflected Christ. So up to this point, in Third John, uh, we have nothing but positive statements, right? The commendation, gratitude, affection, John is saying, I love you, Gaius. You're doing good. You're worthy of imitation. But in verse 9, John's tone changes. There are statements that have been said that need to be addressed. It's not a doctrinal problem. At least that's not what it says in the text, but a problem with sin. And sin created blinders to the advancement of the gospel. This is who we are to not imitate. Here's the first part of verse 9. John says, I have written something to the church. Stop. It seems John previously wrote a letter to another church affiliated with John and Gaius, and the content of the letter was ignored. Uh, The letter was not like a missed email. Like, ah, you emailed me? Ah, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. You know, must have went into my junk mail. It's not what's going on here. It was ignored because of a defiant attitude toward the Apostle John. John continues to inform Gaius. I'm butchering this name. I'm going to butcher it every time. Whatever Ruthie said, that's what you need to go with. <laughs> Diophrates, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, John says, I will bring up what he is doing Talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, which is what Gaius was doing, and also stops those who wants to put them out of the church. We don't know much about Diophrates. We do know he was part of a local church. We don't know if he was an elder or a prominent member of a local church. Regardless, it's clear he had become a problem. If 2 John was about keeping heresy on the outside from getting into the local church, then 3 John tells us about a guy in the local church who is causing major problems. This is why John had to write. Now the theme is imitate good, not evil, but this is is why John had to write in the first place. He had to address issues. In only two verses, we read of a sad digression in the behavior of Diophthrys. Prideful ambition turned into pompous arrogance, which then led to perverse accusations and then this profane activity. Diophthrys created a toxic environment in this local church. What is Diopatres' root sin identified by John in verse 9? What's the root? Pride. Diopatres was first and foremost about himself. The Greek for putting himself first, verse 9, indicates Diopatres wanted to have authority in order to control others. That's what he wanted authority for. So you can be controlled. And the sin in his heart and the evil effects on the church are a result of his pride. His pride caused him to be an agenda-driven control freak. He was not on God's mission. Here's one way his prideful ambition was manifest in this local church. Diophthysus, Refuse the wisdom, counsel, and established authority of the Apostle John and Gaius. Now, just imagine with me for a moment that I decided to not plant a church in Des Moines, Iowa. And instead, I said, hey, who wants to go to the Caribbean with me and plant a church? All of a sudden, there's a lot more people on the church planning core team. But I would imagine Rick, John, and the other elders in our region would be like, dude, I like you. Um, I think your desire to be in the Caribbean has more to do with warm weather and beaches and not liking the cold winters of Minnesota. Now, on the one hand, it's not a sin to disagree with people. But if I begin to cut people out of my life to slander them because they do not agree with me, then there's a problem with my pride. I'm going to do whatever I like, whether, no matter what you think. It'll be an issue with my heart especially if I'm bucking against the people that I am in a relationship with and the people that are an authority over me. That's what Diopratres, Di- Diopratres did with John and Gaius. John wanted local churches to support missionaries and therefore support the advancement of the gospel. And Diopratres said, no! Diopratres is going to do what he wants, when he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. You get the sense from verses 9 and 10 that the issue at hand with Diophtries isn't about missionaries, but it's about a personal agenda driven by pride. Now, I turned the life and actions of Diophtries back on myself. I did. Uh, I'm a man who's had to repent of pride in the past? Absolutely. And I asked myself this question because it's clear Diopatries was a leader in his local church. Is the ministry that I'm a part of defined by godly humility or ambitious pride? And further, I don't want to conjure up this false or worldly humility. That's just hypocrisy. But godly humility is the goal. So, I put myself to what I call the Diophtries test. And as I did that, a couple texts came to my mind which guard my heart from pride. If you're like me and you battle with pride, here are several helpful passages that can guard you from becoming like Diophtries. I'm talking about 1 Peter 5 and 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, under God's hand. It's, I'm keenly aware of Proverbs eight thirteen, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverse speech I hate. And here's a verse Deophatres clearly was not considering. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Look, each of you not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And how can you know that a church leader is striving to walk in humility, albeit not perfectly? Well, in part, we can look at the life of Diophatries and know what not to model. Don't model that. How can we, And we can look at the life of Gaius and say, yep, I want to model and imitate that. Unfortunately, there's more to the biography of Diopatres. At some point, Diopatres decided he knew what was best, and in his pride, he shut out missionaries that came to his church. He also also kicked out folks in the church who were supporting the advancement of the gospel by supporting these missionaries. And as we've seen in John's commendation of Gaius, Diopatres is doing the exact opposite trees is going rogue. He was trying to push his own agenda. You know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I have a hard time understanding how a man with presumably good theology, we don't know anything else, prevents the advancement of the gospel by shutting out teachers, missionaries, and church planners. The Bible, when you read it, is radically missions-centered. You can't turn the pages of the Bible without reading about God's mission to redeem his people through Jesus Christ. So what does this tell me about the sin of Diophatres? Pride blinded him from what matters most in this world. It blinded him. Whatever his grievance against John and Gaius, Diophatres became radically anti-gospel because of his pride. may this be a warning for me and all of us here who are saved sinners battling with pride. The effects of pride can blind us from doing what is good and right. And in the case of Diopatres, caused him to do evil. His actions were anti-guardless regardless of his theology. If Diopatres had good theology, it is clear his belief and behavior were not aligned the problem with geopetries the problem that he created was so bad john tells gaius that he might need to visit him to talk to him more about geopetries john says so if i come i'll bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us the literal translation for talking wicked nonsense is gossiping evil words i wish the esv would have translated it like that gossiping, evil words. Again, we are seeing the manifestation of pride in Deophthys. Here's how Douglas Sean O'Donnell, commentator, um, said this. Against John, and perhaps against Gaius, and the brothers also, Deophthys made unjustified accusations or baseless charges. Deophthys' tongue needed to be tamed before it sets the whole church on fire what makes gossiping evil so dangerous just ponder this for a moment christians we serve a god of truth god is truth and when a person participates in evil gossip or slander you participate in lies which what works against the truth John, a responsible apostle and church leader, had to respond because of the tongue of diophtries. Listen to what James says about the power of the tongue. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And what set on fire by hell? I read this this morning in my devotions. I so just, I got to share it. Matthew 15, right in my devotions. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are trying to get him again. Uh, hear and understand. It's not the one who, who goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Dialogue, dialogue. Peter's like, I don't understand. Jesus continues. <laughs> Are you still without understanding, Peter? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Words, words, Diophatres. Whether you write it on Facebook or you speak them out loud, have power. And the slandering tongue of Diophatres was setting a church on fire. Diophatres is not a man Worthy of imitation. So let's, let's just get this straight. Diophetes is proud, and his pride is evidenced by his unwillingness to respect authority. The Apostle John, no doubt. He doesn't support the advancement of the gospel. He's going so far he's kicking people out of the church who are wanting to support people who are going out in the name of Christ. And in his pride, he slanders John, Gaius, and effectively the church. If hearing about the is getting you down, I do have good news. Just as Gaius is worthy of imitation, so is a man named Demetrius. Here's the final beloved this morning. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. Let me briefly talk about Demetrius and then I'll circle back to verse 11. We don't know much about Demetrius but here's what we can surmise, and here's what the text tells us. It's likely Demetrius is the guy who got the letter from John and took it to Gaius. He was the courier. And just as Gaius had cared for mission workers in the past, it's expected Gaius will care for Demetrius. John tells Gaius, Demetrius is one of us. He loves Jesus. He loves the gospel. Everyone who's encountered Demetrius gives a good testimony about him. And he is from the truth, meaning he is walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Imitate Demetrius. Notice the flow of this short little letter. We have the brief introduction, and then... Imitate Gaius. Do not imitate Diophitrius. then imitate Demetrius. With these biographies, we can answer the question I posed at the beginning: What does it mean to imitate good? We now know. We know, Gaius and Demetrius are from God because they imitate, reflect, and refract God. And it is the good in them that we are to imitate. Here's what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be imitators of me, so I am of Christ. Paul says to the degree that I am looking to Jesus, following Jesus, and imitating Jesus, you can imitate me. From these biographies and the command to imitate good, you see the importance of gospel advancement and what it means to advance the gospel in our own local church, this community. This community. Because it is the gospel community where we see the good in one another. We will see Christ in one another. And when a little bit of evil pops up because of sin, we bear with one another by reminding each other of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And it's the same grace where we walk with one another, fight with one another because of remaining sin. It's the gospel community where we say to one another, perhaps this is a good line for your huddle. Do not be like Trees. guys, don't be like him. Can't you see what he's done? He's tearing up the church. Stop it. Stop it. I'm sorry, I was like my kids. I want to talk to you like my children. My apologies. Instead, let's imitate the people who prioritize the advancement of the gospel, who walk humbly before God, who walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's who you should imitate. What we see in 3 John is not much different than what we see in 2 John. Belief or truth reflects behavior, and behavior, how we live, reflects belief. What we read in 3 John is that to imitate good, to, to imitate God, is to be passionate about gospel advancement. It's one of the byproducts. The conclusion of 3 John is similar to 2 John in that John tells Gaius he's going to come and speak face to face. If you heard last week, I made much of the Greek translation and the American idiom face to face. It literally means mouth to mouth. In light of my statement, a nameless person gave me a holy kiss on the cheek after the service. <laughs> I'm not looking to replicate that moment. So I'll focus on what John says in verse 15. Peace, be with you. After those four beloved, you just hear the care and affection from John, hopefully from me, from God. Peace, be with you. This is an appropriate ending to this letter for two reasons. First, it is the peace of God which sustains a person during unpeaceful moments. The actions of Diopertries created a lack of peace, and John reminded his beloved friend of where true peace resides. The peace of Christ is the solution to the spiritual problems that you face, and that Gaius faced. Second, the peace of Christ Will allow Gaius, John, and any gospel loving, gospel advancing disciple of Jesus Christ to stay on mission in the face of adversity. You will face adversity in your life. Every church faces adversity. The question is, how do you respond? I don't think it can be overstated. The devil wants to cause discord and a lack of peace, especially in his church. And when the church allows that to happen, we lose focus on what matters most. Missionaries will not be supported. Churches will not be planted. We lose focus on God's mission to see his lost elect sheep saved. So I end with this. Beloved. Maybe Christians sitting in this room. Beloved. Imitate good. Imitate God by staying on mission to advance the gospel, and may the peace of Christ dwell in you.